Welcome everyone. Today we're going to be talking about what makes an owl's nest book an owl's nest book. I'm Katie. And I'm Karen. And this is Owl's Nest the Podcast, where we talk about all things books, publishing, and writing for the adolescent imagination. Come in and listen. We are so happy to have you on today. Today we're going to be, as Katie just mentioned, talking about what makes an Owl's Nest book an Owl's Nest book. This has to do a lot also with querying us. So we just opened for what is our, what is this, our third round of submissions. And if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what that means, <laughs> that's okay. That means that you are not an <laughs> author. Um, you're probably just a reader. Uh, and I don't mean I mean just as, an, as if that's a bad thing. We love readers, we need readers, or we would not exist. Exactly. <laughs> Writers and readers have a symbiotic relationship. Exactly. So in publishing, we have all of this sort of, you know, insider lingo, um, subs, submissions, and querying, and things of that sort. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about both of those things and, you know, what exactly we're looking for here at Owl's Nest and what that means for you as a reader if you are looking to purchase our books and read our books. Exactly. We don't want this episode to turn you off if you are not a writer who is querying. This should be interesting because this will give you a good idea of the kinds of books you'll read if you pick up an Owl's Nest book. So don't step away if you're a reader and not a writer. So when somebody is looking to query their fiction manuscript, they have to do a lot of preparation and I should probably say as an aside that we are going to have a whole episode and it will be at least an episode. We'll have to see how much information we have, you know, maybe two, but we'll have to see how much, again, information we have on just general querying mm -hmm. tips for fiction writing, which is different than querying tips for nonfiction writing. That will come, well, starting next episode, we'll talk about querying and general querying tips. But this is specific to Owl's Nest since we just opened four submissions. So querying is when an author is ready to query their book. They have a complete manuscript and they want to shop it around to publishers to take a look at their manuscript and decide whether or not it's something that they want to put out into the world, that they want to go through their editing process and publish. So a query is an author putting together their manuscript and all and and a letter and all of the different things that go with their manuscript in order to present it to a publisher. Karen might be able to add to that. Yeah, and, and in the publishing industry, um, typically querying is done to either small, if you're gonna query your man manuscript directly, it's gonna be either to a small publisher like us or to agents if you're trying to get into a bigger publisher because agents help you get into a bigger publisher. Right, there's a, there's a middleman for the bigger publishers. Right, and you do have to have a completed manuscript. That is a requirement across the board for the fiction industry. And that is, of course, a requirement for us as well. So if you're going to query Owl's Nest, your manuscript must be complete. We would say the, it's important This maybe just, again, it's kind of an aside, do not have your manuscript professionally edited before you submit to 
owl's nest. However, this is one of those things we talk about a lot when we're reading submissions is that we need to know how the actual author writes. It feels a little bit like a bait and switch. If you are submitting a manuscript that is professionally edited and then we sign and I'm not saying this has happened. I'm talking about this kind of hypothetically, but you know, if you if you submit a professionally edited manuscript and then you're signed by a publisher and they and then you start writing for them, once you're signed to them and they see, "Oh, this is how this person actually writes without being professionally edited." That feels a little bit like a bait and switch because mm-hmm. the the author the publisher, excuse me, has signed someone who they thought could write at a certain level. And then it turns out that they don't actually write at that level because they they had given you words that were that were not their own. It's kind of like a model submitting to an agency a photo that has a filter on it. Yeah, or has been airbrushed or altered in any way, edited. Right. Yeah. That's something that is, again, kind of just an aside is, so all of these things that you have to consider as you're creating your manuscript for submissions, there's a lot of disinformation out there on the internet. A lot of editors out there who will say, hire me, hire me to, you know, polish your manuscript before you start querying it. A lot of people tell you lots of things and it's hard when you're an amateur writer, when you just want to start the process of getting published, how do I know what to do? Well, this is one of those things. Do not have your manuscript professionally edited Mm -hmm. before submitting to Owl's Nest. Again, this is something that could just go in the general query tips episode as well. Don't have your manuscript professionally edited before submitting anywhere because any agent, any professional publishing house does not want that because they're going to provide those services for you and they're not going to charge you for them. Right. And they really want to get a sense of what you write like, what you're writing is like because they want to know what level or what kind of editing they're going to want to do on your manuscript exactly and what you're what you're capable of the next thing that I would say here is we want to see in all of the queries to Owl's Nest that you have followed our submission instructions and we're not going to go over what those submission instructions are but they are on our website on the submission page so if you're considering submitting to us, be sure to look at our submissions page. And also yeah. it's a good idea to look over our FAQ page as well, which is linked on the submissions page. We always kind of laugh that you'd be surprised how many people don't follow instructions. And we're not talking about making ex- mistakes. Everybody makes a mistake or misses something here and there. And I have all the grace and sympathy for this because I have queried many times um, successfully and unsuccessfully and I know how tired people get and how mistakes are made but we're talking about people who just wildly disregard submission instructions right like it's very clear that they didn't read the instructions or they just didn't care to follow directions yes so be sure to take a look at our submission instructions if we're going to do that Okay, let's get into some more of, and, and then some of the stuff that's a little bit more meaty about what makes an Owl's Nest book an Owl's Nest book, because all of that right. stuff is just kind of the mechanics of it. I, I don't know, what would you say? A better word than, than mechanics, Katie. That stuff is true across the board. It is. Like, that's not only Owl's Nest. That's, those, are, those submissions guidelines, I mean, every indie publisher, every even every major publisher or agent or whatever, right. those are instructions that are true 
for everyone. Yes. So that's not specifically what makes an Alzness book an Alzness book. It's true for us and it's true for everyone else. Right. Yes. And again, we'll get into more detail on that later episodes. Okay. Something that is unique to us and we look for in all of our submissions. So we do ask, and we'll get in, I will say this about our submission guidelines. We do ask that all of our submitting authors submit the first 25 pages of their manuscripts for us to read so that we can we can see a sample of the writing we can see a sample of the story you'd be surprised how much that we can learn about a story in the first 25 pages and certainly about the writing because the story and the writing are related but different things so we ask a question of each sub is the submission written for adolescents are adolescents of any age but you know between the ages of 8 to 18 depending on what the author tells us as far as who is the target age for their particular book are adolescents clearly the intended audience of this book did the writer write for and to teenagers that is one of our highest priorities at Owl's Nest and we talked a little bit about that in our previous episodes when we talked about middle grade and teen books and what our ideas are about those two categories and also the crossover yes so because there is like a middle a middle land between middle grade and teen books as well yes but if teenagers if if middle grade readers are not the intended audience of the book then it's going to be a rejection from us it could be a very well-written book and we have received some some pretty well-written submissions but we're reading when we read the submissions it's clear that either the submitting author doesn't really know that they're not writing for adolescents doesn't know how to write for adolescents or really did write a book for adult readers and just thought, oh, I'll just go ahead and submit this and see what happens. There are times, I do want to say though also, there are times when we really like the story, but we feel like the characters need to be aged up a little bit or down a little bit or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that that is something that, like if we, if we see potential, there are times when... It, they just need to be a little bit older. That generally happens more in middle grade. If it's if it's too old for a teenager, then it's not going to be a book for us. Yes. But if the author says this is a middle grade book and we think mm, this is really written more like a teen book, that's something we can sometimes say, well, this needs to be revised. Yeah. So the next thing that we look for is, is the story sample against the first 25 pages. You never su- just go ahead and submit a full manuscript, by the way. We have to request that. But is the story sample authentic to the adolescent experience. Do the adolescent characters in the submission act, think, emote, etc., speak the way real adolescents would in the world the author has created? So this one is a little bit more specific. Okay, so it's not just is the book written for adolescents as the intended audience, but is it authentic to the adolescent experience in the world the author has created? So this is a real, you know, how we really do a close reading of the text. And of course we ask these questions when we request a full manuscript as well, 
but we have to see this in the first 25 pages or we're not going to request a full manuscript. So when we say, is the story sample authentic to the adolescent experience? And we're talking about these things, how, how characters act, think, emote, and, and speak the way real adolescents would in the world the author has created. This is a pretty deep read of, of the sample. Katie, do you want to kind of talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I think th- this is, and this is something we've we've touched on also in some of our previous episodes. We want kids to be able to see themselves in the books that we are producing. We want, and that means that they need to act like real kids, whether they're younger or, you know, whether they're on the younger end of the adolescent spectrum or older, they need to, whatever situation they're put in, and it can be a fantastical situation, Mm -hmm. they need to act like a kid would act in that situation. So in like a middle grade contemporary or, or historical fiction, it can be a difficult or unusual circumstance, but is the kid responding in a way that reflects how a kid would respond to that enormous event. And we've also talked about how kids like to read up. It's okay to make a, a kid an idealized version of a kid, but they it still needs to be realistic. It still needs to, they still need to, to act like a kid would act. Yes. And we, we, this point says, in the world the author has created for right. a reason, I'm, I'm going to just kind of fall back on my own experience of writing here. I've, I've written a portal fantasy series, which means I, I wrote a series about kids from our world who went into a fantasy world, which is very kind of medievally, right, which as fantasy tends to be. When you have teenagers, and, and they meet young people kind of their own age in that other world, well, the teenagers in the other world act the way they would living in that world, they act much more kind of grown up than the teens from our world because the teens from our world, they're learning new things. They're stumbling into this new world and they act the way that kids and teens from our world would as encountering new experiences and and not inherently knowing things like how to sword fight or battle and do things with magic and whatnot. And so they're having these kind of very natural reactions to big, strange things. And that's what we want to see in an Owl's Nest book is, you know, if you have a young kid who has goes into battle for the first time and, and kills someone, you know, just to take, a, take something that happens in a, often in like a fantasy scenario, we don't want to see that kid just be like, oh, ho-hum, um, I just killed someone. I just killed someone for the first time and walk away like totally unaffected. Like this should be a life altering event for them, right? We want to see yeah. a kid, a kid that has something like that happen to them for the first time should probably freak out. But it And actually that that ultimately that makes it a more interesting read yes. for the reader too to see a kid grappling with something that that is that weighty. Yes. Like that's that's partly just what makes a good book is seeing kids being put in these outrageous circumstances and watching how they grapple with those things. Yes. But, you know, conversely, if if it's a buddy friendship story where they've piled up with somebody who lives in the world and grew up battling creatures, that kid might be totally unfazed by being in battle and killing some creature and be like, dude, why are you upset by this? Because I kill five of these a week. You know, so and then again, right. that sort of scenario, it's it's like 
there's the realism of in the world the author has created, how do the kids react based on, you know, the, the characters and the world and, and things of that sort. Right. And that's true even in contemporary, yes. too. Because even a contemporary novel, it's still a world that the author has created. Right. It's It just, it has to be consistent with the adolescent experience, particularly within the world that the author has built in their story. Yes. The kids have to act like real kids. The teens have to act like real teens. They have to respond the way that real kids and teens would respond. I know we're kind of beating this one to death. This is a big one for us because we're tired mm -hmm. of picking up young adult novels where supposedly kids and teens basically just act like adults and respond like adults and think mm -hmm. like adults and talk like adults. That's not authentic storytelling. And we want to have authentic stories about authentic kids. It is. It is. It's huge. Uh, but moving on, yeah. because we, we could, we actually probably could spend an entire episode just talking about that. Right. And maybe we will sometime. And that's a, that's a big reason why we do reject a lot of Yes. Manuscripts, though, is, is just not authentic. But but next, we, we also are looking for, this ties again, like all of these sort of feed into the next, feed into the next. Or we're asking ourselves the question, does this book seem like the main conflict of this story is going to be driven by the adolescent characters? Whatever their needs are, their motivations, their desires, etc. Is that what is driving? Is that what is driving the conflict? Yes. And this one is a little bit so the way we have this phrased um, as we're looking at this at the subs, which again is the first 25 pages, is does it seem like this is going to happen? When we're looking at full manuscripts, which again, we don't request a whole lot of full manuscripts. But when we look at full manuscripts, we need to see this actually bear out, actually happen in the book. So how is this one different? This is, you know, we need to see that the, the main conflict of the story, so whatever is, is driving this story, is actually the needs, motivations, desires, the conflicts of the adolescent characters themselves, and that they're not kind of passengers to the needs, motivations, desires of the adult characters. And that's what makes this different than the point before. So not only do you have to have authentic adolescent characters, but they have to be the main characters of the story. They have to be what's driving the story. There are kids' books where there are adult main characters that, that play a vital role in the story, but they're not the ones driving the story. I mean, I think of even classics like Anne of Green Gables. Clearly a kids' book, and adults do play an important role in the story, but the story isn't focused in Anne of Green Gables on Matthew and Marilla. Right? Can they be a, a huge, important part of the story? Would the story be the same without them? No, you have to have Matthew and Marilla, but the story is driven by Anne. Yes, and imagine how different that book would be, the tone, the voice, yes. everything about it, if Marilla was the main character, if the if the main right. conflict of the story was driven by Marilla's needs, Marilla's motivations, Marilla's desires. Yes. It would, even yes. if the, you know, basically the same interactions happened, basically the same you know, dialogue, basically all of that was the same, but you just kind of made those slight changes so that it, she was the main character and everything was driven by her and added mm -hmm. some scenes that were different. It would be a, like the whole thing would be a tragedy. Like it would be a totally different story. Yes, so. totally different. And not for kids. Not for kids. 
that's that's a big one as well. Um, although mm-hmm. sometimes more difficult to to kind of figure out. Sometimes that's one that we can't really identify until we read a full manuscript. And so we'll we'll have a sample and we'll request a full. And then when we're, when we are reading the full, we'll see oh, you know the kids kind of just end up being props here. We also look to see is the story sample's voice authentic to the adolescent experience or how adolescents might process the narrator of this particular story. Again, this one is, especially if you're not a writer, you might be kind of scratching your head and thinking, how is this different than what you've said before? Stories can be written with all sorts of different point, from all sorts of different points of view and kind of narratorial voices. If it's not authentically the adolescent experience and if it's not really driven by the adolescent characters, this one is probably going to fail too. But not always. You know, sometimes it's like, sure, this is an adolescent experience and sure that's driven by adolescent conflict, but there's something in the voice. Like it's maybe it's supposed to be a, you know, close first person narrative, but the voice is stilted and the, the way the author has written it just doesn't read like a true interior voice of the teen character that they're telling us the character is supposed to be a way that the character actually isn't based on how we're getting the interior monologue. How else would, mm-hmm. might you say that, Katie? Sometimes it's easier to think about this if you give yourself an example of a book where it, it has, like a child is a main character, but it it's meant for adults and the internal voice is really still more adult. Like I'm thinking there's a, there's a really famous book it's a mystery book, and it's called The Incident of the Dog, Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime or something like that. And the main character is a child. It, and it's told, I'm pretty sure, in the voice of a child, but it really it really isn't. And that's why it's ca- not categorized as a book for children. Mm. It's, it's a book for adults, even though the main character is a child. So I think sometimes it's helpful to just know of an example that doesn't do this. Okay, yeah. Because maybe I'm confusing the issue because in that case, like, it really wasn't written for children. It really was written for adults, even though the main character is a child. But it is helpful in terms of distinguishing what we mean by voice and yes. what we mean when we say we're not we're not looking for that. Yes. We are looking for a voice that is a a child's voice. And so that the reader, when the reader reads it, they recognize, once again, a child will recognize themselves in the voice of the narrator. And this is, it's kind of a hard one to talk about because sometimes it's more of an intuitive one when we're reading it and we're thinking, you just kind of know it when you, when you read it or you are reading it and you're, you think the narrator of the story is not a narrator that an adolescent is going to relate to. Right. Okay, here's another example. And I don't know, once again, I I don't mean to be muddying the issue, but it's easier for me to think about adult books that feature children main characters when it's very clear that the narrator isn't talking, isn't isn't talking to kids, isn't a child itself. So I think of like one of my all-time, all-time favorite books, Peace Like a River. The narrator in that book is an is a man in his middle ages who is recalling his childhood. So the whole book is him as a kid and recalling this one sort of incident over the course of a short period in his childhood. The main characters are him as a child and his sister as a child, but he is recalling it as an adult and the Uh narrator's voice is clearly an adult recalling his childhood. Could be that that 
that could be written for a kid, but it's clearly, it's clearly, clearly not. Right. And and once again, it's intuitive as you're reading it. Peace Like a River would never, ever be shelved in the middle grade or teen section, even though it tells a story about childhood. Right. It's an adult book. So the adolescent characters act, think, emote, speak the way real adolescents would in that book. It is authentic yes. to the adolescent experience. The conflict, you know, is, is driven by the adolescent characters. However, it is not, the voice is not an adolescent voice, ergo, uh, not a teen or middle grade book. Right. Good. But there's more. <laughs> <laughs> there is more. There is more. Are the themes of the story sample, again, because we're talking about submissions here, consistent with the adolescent experience? Again, in samples, sometimes it's hard to identify what the themes are going to be. So we just, are kind of doing our best when we're looking at the first 25 pages to identify what this might end up being. It's easier to see what the themes are. Should be themes that emerge in a full manuscript. And that's often why in a full manuscript, when we get a full sense of what the themes are, we can more easily say these themes are consistent or are not consistent with the adolescent experience. Yes. And for us, is it something that we can work through with the writer to to shift those themes so that they're adolescent or is it so far away from the adolescent experience that you know this is not this is not for us right and then of course we look for the story samples to be written well that they read smoothly and are free of major and distracting errors and again we will talk more about that during when we talk about querying and submissions so anything to add to all of those before we move on well, I don't think so. I mean, I, I know that this can sound so nuanced, and that's because it is. Like, these things all tie in with each other. They they go together. You know, we, we started out by saying that we look for books that are written for adolescents, and then we kind of broke that down into each of the different elements of a book, character, voice, and themes. So they all are part and parcel of a, a larger story being told, and it is nuanced. But it really is important that when we read those books, that those are the pieces that we are looking for to complete a picture of what an Owl's Nest book is. I, w I mean, I would also add that this is what makes an Owl's Nest book. Aside from, this is what we're looking for, aside from how we personally feel about each story sample that we receive. Because, you know, we've been saying this a lot around the publishing house. This isn't the all Karen show. This isn't the all Katie show. You know, if it was mm -hmm. the all me show, it would be, you know, all fantasy all day. <laughs> If it was the old Katie show, it would be, well, all contemporary. <laughs> I don't know. Probably historical, historical fiction. Historical fiction. She, yeah, that's right. You do love <laughs> historical fiction. You know, but we, ha we have our little, we have our pet genres. We have our favorites. We have what we love to read, but we don't publish things based off of our preferences. We publish what we, things that align with our mission and vision, what we said we're going to publish and but we also want to publish books that are enjoyable to read so we have this this kind of list of things that we're looking for that these are the things that make an owl's nest book an owl's nest book but then we also even if we have a submission that that checks all these boxes we have internal discussions at the publishing house beyond this 
for anybody, for, for all the people who, who read the submissions, we talk about things like, okay, was it a good read though? Was it fun to read? You know, was it interesting? Because these are important things too. Now we're not going to publish something where it's like, well, it didn't check any of the boxes, but we really liked it. Right. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But if it does check all the boxes, then we need to have those discussions too. You know, was it fun? Was it interesting? Is it good? Things like that. So just just so y'all know, I mean, we things like the subjective notes also come into consideration. Right. And, and uh, sort of along those lines, one of the other things that this didn't address is like writing style because there's different ways to write. And that, that goes, you know, like Karen and I have preferences maybe about genre we also have preferences about writing style Mm -hmm. and we don't want to we don't want our books to feature just one writing style across the board with all of our books right um even though we may gravitate towards one particular style yes and don't resonate with other styles of writing we do have some things that usually result in an automatic rejection from Mm -hmm. us which again if you are looking to submit to us you can find these things if you look on our faq page or submissions and FAQ. And as as readers or as parents who are looking for books for your young readers, you can look in those places as well. But we are not looking for books that contain explicit sexual content. We understand, of course, that the world is a messy place and haven't labeled ourselves as a quote end quote clean publishing house or anything like that but we do want to make sure that our books are edifying for young people that means that we will be careful about the content that we allow in our books we want our books to address difficult things but it always always needs to be in a way that kids will be able to consume and grapple with in a a way that kids are able to consume without without being introduced to new concepts that their parents have not probably already talked to them about right and that's that's kind of the way that I've always kind of talked about it with parents with who have been curious about what they might find in my books. But way before I started Owl's Nest as well is always just kind of said, I'm not looking to introduce your kids to anything that you probably haven't already introduced them to because yeah. that's we're not looking to to be the people who who do that. That's not our that's not our job or, or role. We're we're looking to reflect the real world in our books for your kids. And again we realize that your kids probably learn and pick up things that you don't know about, but we don't really want that to be from us. We hope that you have lots of open conversations with your kids about things. Which really leads us into the next point, which is that we don't don't want our books to be, you know, overly didactic or have an overt agenda because once again, we don't see it as our job to be, that's not the job of us to be teaching, teaching your kids. Yeah. We're not an educational press. so Yeah, we're not an educational press. Yeah, and we, we mean an agenda really of any sort. So we're not proselytizing for anything in particular. We have some books out already that have that do that contain religion and talk about mental health and things like that, but not in any sort of agenda way. It's just this is what the author believes, so it's in the book, not in a we're trying to teach your child something. That is, uh, if, if we receive a submission where it seems like everything in it is a heavily cloaked metaphor, let me put it that way. 
Like, that's a that's a really good way to put it. Yes. Yeah. Then that's probably going to be a an automatic rejection. You know. And again, that's just not good. Not really the sort of storytelling we're looking for. I'm not gonna necessarily say that it's not. I'm not gonna say it's not good storytelling because it's it's. Look at the Pilgrim's Progress. I'm not gonna say the Pilgrim's Progress is not good storytelling. But like, <laughs> you know, that's not the sort of storytelling that that we're doing. At Owl's Nest, we want our books to be true, beautiful, and good in the artistry first over any sort of message that the author is trying to present to the readers. So we're not looking for books that are messaging. We're looking Mm -hmm. for books that tell a good story, whatever that good story maybe. In, In looking to not be exploitative of any person out there, if you have anything that's racist, homophobic, exploitative, bigoted, anything like that in your text. Just don't bother sending it to us because it's going to be an automatic rejection. You also need to look at just if you're a writer who's writing. And we kind of chuckle at this because it's like you think this would be obvious, but just language inappropriate to the intended audience. We are a publishing house for adolescence and we again we understand we want our books to reflect reality we understand that teenagers do swear and things like that and we're not saying that there won't be any swear words ever in our books in dialogue but it should reflect reality sometimes we receive submissions that are not written as if they're for teenagers let's just put it that way in the language arena I would also say a book can be true to the adolescent experience without catering to, you know, there are some teenagers that just swear up a storm. Yeah. There are some kids in the world that swear up a storm. But we don't need to be, you can still tell an authentic story without without catering to to that level of uh, language use. Yeah. So if there's going to be any language in the book it really needs to serve a purpose exactly so I think yeah that's that's maybe how we would yes it, it, there's there's reflecting reality and then there's just being crass and trying to it really needs to serve a purpose is a good way to to put it if it's going to be there again it's not like we are going to stumble upon a swear word in your submission and be like well we're not publishing this that's not what that's not what we're saying here it that kind of goes back to our you know, is this is this authentic to the adolescent experience, the way they would talk within the world the author has created, and and then kind of examining it all and, and determining whether or not it is exploitative as well and things like that. And if you want to know, we talk a little bit more about that in our FAQs if you want to yes. have, get a better idea of that. We have a, a full kind of statement on how we treat content in our FAQs. It is a lot, and we are very careful and do take careful consideration of all of our submissions that come in because we take what we do seriously because fiction stories are serious. They're, they're culture-forming. Fiction is one of the best ways that kids learn empathy and shape, you know, in, in many ways shape who they want to be, how they want to, how they want to act, who they want to be in the world. Whether the story is fantasy or contemporary or historical fiction, it's all empathy and world building and worldview building, I guess. And so we do take it seriously. We take what we do very seriously. So we hope that we can build trust between 
our publishing house and our readers and parents and educators. And we hope that if you're considering submitting a manuscript to us, we haven't just scared you off. <laughs> we welcome we welcome submissions. And again, we do read them all. We would love to take a look at yours if you're ready to submit. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let us know if you have any questions. If you are a submitting author, there is a button on the website where you can submit submission questions specifically on the submissions page. Thank you for listening to this episode of Owl's Nest, the podcast. And thanks, as always, to our producer, Ali Castaldo, and to Wilder Adkins for our music. Be sure to check him out on Spotify. And also remember to rate and review us. And you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. We hope you come back again. And we also hope you enjoyed hearing Karen and I talk a little bit more about the behind the scenes of what we look for in uh, an owl's nest book. So thank you for listening. And until next time, bye.